Storehouse Dallas. We are going to continue in our Summer in Hebrew series, and we have left off at chapter 9 today. And so you should have notes in your hand, and um, in light of just what I feel like the Holy Spirit was wanting to do in worship, I really, there's certain parts of the notes that we're just going to kind of be flying through, if that's okay. But these notes are available for you to take home, to read over, to study more and go more in depth because we're in a really meaty book. And um, if you are new today or if you've just come in the past week or so, you happen to come at the most meaty moment of probably the meatiest book in our New Testament, um, um, perhaps in our whole Bible. So um, I, I applaud you for coming and being brave. Um, and um, so I hope these notes are helpful to you. But um, these are, we're going to be covering some really deep topics today. And so um, we're going to, I'm just going to read us through um, a rather large portion of Hebrew. So at the very end that we've at least read it today, and I'm going to do my best to really give you a fork and a knife to really dive into this meat and to really chew on it. And it's, and I believe it's going to take some time throughout the week. Um, And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. I need Holy Spirit. I'm totally dependent on him. That to, to deliver this message, and you are totally dependent on the Holy Spirit in order to understand it. Okay, so let's read it, and then we're going to pray for the Lord's help. We're in Hebrews chapter 9. I'm going to start us in verse 13. Tracy kind of left off around 13, 14 um, last week, but I'm going to uh, um, start there, and we're going to go all the way to chapter 10, verse 22. You're like, holy moly, will I ever get to eat lunch? Um, yes, you will, <laughs> with the help of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Hebrews 9, verse 13. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more, say much more, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Verse 15. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since the death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must necessity of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never enforced while the one who made it lives." Therefore, even if the first covenant was not inaugur- therefore even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and the people, saying, "This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you." Remember this verse. In the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one almost may say, all things are cleansed with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of things in the heavens to be cleansed with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices, say better sacrifices, than these. 
For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear second time for salvation, without reference to sin, to those who eagerly await him. For the law, since it was only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, say can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise they would not have ceased to be offered. Would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to, for it is impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, "Sacrifice and offering you have not desired for a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, "Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God." After saying above, sacrifices and offerings, and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law, then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first, the first covenant that is, in order to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every high priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Another key verse. Waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now there were, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Key verse here in, chapter, in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this book of Hebrews, and we thank you for the revelation of Jesus that is contained in it. And I ask for the Holy Spirit to come over our minds right now. Just place your hand on top of your head, everyone in this room. Holy Spirit, just tell him, ask him right now. Holy Spirit, help me understand. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to me today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.
Well, just as we made it through that passage of Scripture, we will make it to the end of this sermon today. Again, I'm going to kind of fly through these first few um, um, pages of the notes here. Um, but something I want to set up today that we're going to talk about is this perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, this idea of sacrifice is connected with some other really loaded terms that I want to um, um, unpack as, as best as possible in the time we have today. Because when we talk about sacrifice, we're also talking about covenant. And we're talking about sacrifice and covenant. We're also talking about atonement. And when we're talking about sacrifice and covenant and atonement, we're also talking about blood. All of these things are absolutely essential in the worship system of both the Old Testament and the New. It applies to us. The previous chapters in Hebrews, we've learned that Jesus is a better high priest than the priests of the Old Testament. He is a better high priest because he operates in a greater order. That he offered a better sacrifice than the sacrifices of the Old Testament. That in Jesus Christ, we have a better covenant than what the Israelites received with Moses as they came out of Egypt. And in this better covenant, Hebrews chapter 8 tells us it's based on better promises. So everything about the ministry of Jesus and everything that's available to us in Jesus is better. It's better because he's Jesus. So covenant, atonement, sacrifice, and blood. As we unpack these, I want to say this, that God desires a close a closeness, a nearness, and an intimacy with every single one of us in this room. That from the beginning of creation, from Adam and Eve in the garden, to the time of Noah in the flood, to the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of Israel, who received the promise that their inheritance would fill the land of Canaan, and that God would multiply and bless his seed, that all the families of the earth would be blessed through this man, Abraham, all the way up to the time of Moses, who brought the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land, through Joshua and the judges and the kings, through King David himself and God promising David there will forever be an heir on the throne of David, all the way to the time of the birth of Jesus Christ, of the Son of God coming in the flesh, up until now, God has desired closeness, intimacy, and nearness with his people. And everything he has done and every experience and encounter that he's had with each of these people that I've mentioned has been for the sake of restoring humanity back to that closeness and fellowship that he had with Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. That's where this is going. And God... What he wants with us is not only closeness and friendship. He wants a covenant relationship with us. And there's something about covenant that is beyond mere friendship, but that's also beyond a mere contract. In a covenant, we have an oath-binding relationship that is grounded in affectionate, in holy affectionate love, and in loyal, lifelong commitment. That's my 
summarized definition of a covenant relationship. It is, a, a, it is an oath-binding relationship. God bound by himself by an oath that he was going to make that relationship possible, that he was going to bless us, that he was going to do certain things for us. An oath-binding relationship that is grounded in holy, affectionate love. God has holy, affectionate love for each one of us and a loyal, lifelong commitment to every single one of us. This is the kind of closeness and the nearness that God wants with us. God wants us, in other words, to be at one with him. Jesus said, Father, I desire that they be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. That the love which you have for me, Father, may be in them and that I may be in them. Covenant relationship at one with God. The thing we have to recognize about God, however, if we are to enjoy a covenant relationship with him, is that he's a holy God. God is holy. God is light. In him there is no darkness. There's no shadow of turning. There's no sin. There's nothing imperfect about God. There's nothing impure, undefiled. There's not a single evil thought that has ever entered the mind or the heart of God. He's holy. He's pure. He's righteous. And he's just. And it's in order to have a covenant relationship he need, if he wants that with somebody, that other party also needs to be holy and righteous and pure, just as he is. If one person is holy and the other is not, they cannot be at one. They will be an unequal yoke in that relationship. So when God created mankind, he made us holy. He made us righteous. He made us pure. He made us in his image. Genesis chapter 1. In the image of God, he created them. In the image of God, he's created you and I. But of course, we know at the fall that that image was marred. That image was damaged by sin and death. And that sin and death came in and it separated us. It broke that covenant relationship between God and humanity. And what God has been desiring to do all throughout the Bible, all throughout salvation history, is to reverse the curse of sin and death that damaged that at-oneness with him and bring us back to himself so that we could be at one with him once again. Okay? Are we following? See, God wants more than just friendship. He wants to dwell on the inside of us. He wants to fully consume us with his holy, fiery love and affection. I and them, you and me, that they may be one. John 17. Sin has damaged that relationship, and in order for that relationship to be restored, in order for the dwelling place of humanity to be holy 
And to be joined together at one with God again, sin's got to be dealt with. Sin's got to be cleansed. Sin has to be completely removed in order for God to take up residence on the inside of us. And there is only one way for sin to be completely and properly removed from humanity. And that's this, blood. Whereas sin separates us from God, holy, pure, undefiled blood makes us at one with him again. And that's important to note. It's not just any blood. That this blood must be innocent, pure, undefiled. And that the power in blood, the way God has designed and created the blood of every single creature, is that it's so holy and so pure in his eyes that it would have the power to reverse the curse of sin and death and to join us back into unified, into at-oneness and covenant relationship with him. And so what sin does, or what blood does, it atones for us. That's our loaded theological term for today. It reunites us into friendship and communion with God. It makes us at one with him again. This innocent and pure blood, which has cleansing and atoning power, can only come from one place. From a creature that is unblemished, unstained, and without fault. In order to acquire that unblemished creature's pure and innocent, undefiled blood, which cleanses and removes unholiness and sin, which makes us at one with God again and confirms the covenant that God has made with us, that creature has got to be killed. It has to be sacrificed. Which brings us to page four of our notes. Man, we kind of flew through that. This is the core of what we're going to talk about today. Sacrifice. Sacrifice is something that's a little unfamiliar to us, perhaps, because we don't see it every day. Um, when we hear of sacrifice, we think of sacrifice of praise. We think of a sacrifice of thanksgiving. We think of a sacrifice of giving, of our, of our time, of our money, of our, of our devotion, of ourselves. Be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And that's exactly how we offer sacrifices under the new covenant. But there's something important that we, I think it, that we need to understand in the Old Testament in order to fully realize that the power and the significance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ under the new covenant. See, sacrifice and blood and cleansing, I mean, all these things, we're just like, what is going on here? Um, they are, it's all over the New Testament from the very beginning. Adam and Eve, after they sinned, God killed an animal, sacrificed an animal, and covered them with the flesh of those animals. Blood was spilled. There was a sacrifice to make Adam and Eve at one with God once again. Abel offered his sacrifices, his, the first fruits of his livestock to God. Shedding of blood to maintain this at-oneness with God. Noah, after he gets off the ark, he saved all these animals from the flood. Forty days, forty nights, and even longer waiting for the water to go down. The animals have been in this boat for a long time. And the moment they get off, God says... It's time for a feast. Of all the clean animals, at least. 
You know, all the pigs are like skipping out and, you know, excited that they get this new life in this new world that's been washed with water. And this, you know, the cows are like, crud. <laughs> Eat more chicken. <laughs> oh, I can't. It's Sunday. We're the only thing that's left. <laughs> Oh, Chick-fil-A, the one day you crave it. <laughs> so you go to In-N-Out instead. <laughs> Poor cows. But God made a covenant with Noah. I'm not going to flood the earth again. And he confirmed it through the shedding of blood. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as they traveled across the land of Canaan that God had promised, they built altars and they sacrificed animals. They shed blood. And it was their form of worship. It was, it was what God was doing to confirm a covenant with them. And he said, this is the blood that confirms the covenant I'm making with you. You see, in the Hebrew mentality, in the, in the, actually the Hebrew word um, for making a covenant, is actually more literally translated to cut a covenant. So when God would cut a covenant with humanity, he was promising a life of blessing. He was promising, I'm going to take from the storehouse of abundance in my heart and in my sanctuary of heaven, and I'm going to pour it out over you on earth. But in order to confirm that I'm actually going to be true to what I said, I'm going to cut covenant with you, Abraham. And I'm going to guarantee that what I'm saying is going to come to pass. Under the Mosaic law, there were, God instituted a very detailed system of sacrifice, very bloody affair, to make it one meant with God, to make this atonement, to reunite humanity to him, and to keep us close to him. Now, I have some passages here on your notes on page four, under paragraph E, the Mosaic Law, I'm not gonna, we're not going to turn there and read every single one of them, um, but they're there so you can go back. But I would encourage you, open up Exodus 24. Open up Leviticus 8 and 9. What we have in Exodus 24 is the priesthood under the Mosaic Law had to come and be cleansed with blood before they ministered in the sanctuary. God, or Moses went up to the mountain, received the commands from God, brought them down to the people, and he's reading them out to the people. This is what, these are the terms of the covenant God has made. And the people say, yes, we're going to do it. We're in God. And then Moses the New Living Translation uses this extremely graphic word, splattered blood over the book, over the people, and over the objects of the temple. And it says in Exodus 24, this blood confirms the covenant that the Lord has made with you. Um, you see, when God makes a covenant, he wants us to have a guarantee that he's actually going to hold to his word. 
and where a covenant is made, um, um, really, uh, um, he, he, and I believe in a sense that he is saying is that the life that is this, of this creature, may it be done to me if I do not uphold the terms of this covenant. That I am guaranteeing that I will do this very thing. But there's something about this sacrifice and this spilling of blood that was for the purpose of engaging in nearness and intimacy in this at one with God. In Exodus 24, verse 9 to 12, Moses and Aaron, they're summoned by God up to the mountain. There's, God comes to them in the midst of the congregation of Israel. Come up to the mountain. I want to meet with you. One problem. God said, I can't show my face to anyone or you'll die. So God does something. It says that they were sprinkled with blood. They were covered with blood. And then, and then they, were, they came up to the mountaintop and they saw the God of Israel. Yet the Lord did not stretch out his hand against them. And so they see God. They come up to the mountains and they see God. And they see not only God, but they see this giant crystal sea that he's sitting on top of. Revelation 4 gives us the picture of this. John is caught up and he's taken up into heaven. And he says, I was in the spirit. I was taken up in the spirit and I saw one who sits on a throne. And he saw the God of Israel. And he's seeing, he's describing the God of Israel. He's, 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 he's full of this sparkling diamond crystal light. This burning sardius color, this burning ruby sapphire, or not sapphire, uh, sardius stone. And it, it, it's, it's, it's this emerald rainbow surrounding the throne. And John is just looking for, grabbing the language that he can use to describe what he's seeing in Revelation chapter 4. And then he sees this giant, endless sapphire sea surrounding the throne of God. Moses, Aaron, and his sons see this very same thing in Exodus 24. And they saw God, and they ate, and they drank. This is incredible. This is incredible. Um, this, is, this, is, this phrase just keeps, well, I, I just wanted to hit us over this week. I, I encourage you again to go and read and pour over these scriptures. Say, God, give me more revelation. I know I'm talking about some meaty stuff here. And I just want to address that, and I want to, I want to hope that you keep following, following me. And if you're having a little trouble right now, just want you to stick your head, hand on your head again. Let's all do this. Holy Spirit, help me understand. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus. Amen. Okay. So God wanted fellowship with the people of Israel. God wanted covenant relationship. God wanted this oath-binding relationship that was grounded in holy, affectionate love and lifelong loyal commitment. So why so much blood in order to get close to God? That's a good question. I've wrestled this out with the Lord. Blood that we've talked about, um, that we've already mentioned, it cleanses and removes sin. 
that there's something about pure, undefiled blood that reverses the effects and the power of sin over humanity. We've also learned that blood confirms a covenant, that God cuts a covenant. He confirms it with blood. This is the blood of the covenant, which confirms the covenant that I've made with you today. The Lord spoke through Moses. And so blood was necessary. And Hebrews starts to unpack this. He says, because where a covenant is, a death has to be involved in order to confirm it. This is the way God set it up. This is the way God designed it. And the blood secures it. Um, uh, um, but there's something else about blood that we have insight of in, in, in Leviticus uh, 17. That God regarded blood as holy and sacred because of the life that was contained in it. Leviticus 17:14. You can see it in your notes on page 5 under paragraph H. For as the life of all... For as for the life of all flesh, its blood is identified with its life. And that word life can also be translated soul. That there's something about the life and the soul of the, of the creature that is in the blood. Therefore I say to the sons of Israel, you're not to eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is in its blood. And whoever eats it shall be cut off. The life of the flesh, the life of the creature is in the blood. The life of the creature is in the blood. The life of the creature is in the blood. So what does sin bring? Death. The wages of sin is death. Blood brings the opposite. Life. And that's precisely why it has cleansing power that the power of, of innocent and pure blood contains life that swallows up and washes away death and sin. And in the Old Testament, under the law of Moses, God gave them an earthly tabernacle. He gave them an earthly worship system. There was a copy of the real and true one in heaven. Tracy did a great teaching on this last week. I encourage you to listen to that if you haven't already. Um, but but what, what Hebrews is telling us is that Jesus, he's the high priest, not of an earthly sanctuary made with human hands, but he went into a heavenly sanctuary. And that there he stands or actually seated before God on behalf of us. And that he entered by his own sacrifice of his own blood. And so under the old covenant, you have Moses and all of the priests were cleansed with blood. All of the objects were cleansed with blood. Everything in the temple was cleansed with blood. So that when the priest came in to minister, there was a, there was a, uh, uh, there was a, a removal of unholiness as they stood in the presence of a holy God. But there was something insufficient about that system. There was something incomplete about the sacrifice and the blood of animals, of bulls and goats. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify or make holy for the cleansing of the flesh, 
How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So the Old Testament sacrifices in the blood of bulls and goats, it did an outward cleansing. It cleansed their clothes. It cleansed their bodies. It cleansed physical objects in an earthly temple so that they can come near and meet with God. And I mean, God met with them. I mean, it's, it's an, you know, you read Exodus 24 and it's just the, the way the New Living Translation puts it is that Moses went into the tent of meeting and he went up to the mountain and the cloud of glory just surrounded him that he could, you can no longer see Moses and he disappears in the cloud. I mean, Jesus, it's <laughs> like the glory showed up. And he and Moses was telling this blood, God has instituted this, this blood sacrifice system because so that his glory can come in. And there was a there was a, a cleansing of the flesh that was necessary for them to meet with God in that physical earthly temple. But it was only a shadow, it was only a copy of a true temple in heaven where God actually lives. God, right now, his throne is in heaven. He has created heaven. He's created a temple, a tabernacle in heaven where there is a real throne, where there is a real God that's shining, it's bright, and there's angels, countless angels ministering to God the Father right now. And I mean, the book of Revelation, guys, get into this and see that there's, there's a whole amazing worship system going on in this heavenly tabernacle. And it says in the book of Hebrews that this heavenly tabernacle, this is the one that Jesus went into. This is the one that Jesus entered in and stands ministering daily. And it's by his blood, his own blood, that this sanctuary in heaven has been cleansed. Jesus is our better, perfect sacrifice that provides a better and perfect cleansing for humanity to draw near to God. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. It's, it's drawing close to God. It's experiencing intimacy with God and nearness with God at a whole new degree, at a whole new level. See, because where, where, where the sacrifices of of bulls and goats cleanse the body. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ cleanses the conscience. That your conscience, that your mind can be cleansed and the power of sin can be removed from your innermost being, from the center and the core of who you are. And this is what God wanted to do because God wanted to do much more than live in an earthly temple. He even wants to do much more than live in a heavenly temple. He wants to live in a, a human temple, you and I. He wants his spirit on the inside of us. He says, this is the, in this new covenant, Ezekiel 36, I will put my spirit on the inside of them. I will come and dwell, not just among them, but inside of them. This is what Jesus was talking about. This is why Jesus came in the flesh. He was saying that it's better that I go away because the Holy Spirit is going to come and take up residence on the inside of you. But, but in order for a Holy Spirit, a Holy God to come inside of a human being and to make a human temple, that temple, just like the temple of Moses, had to be cleansed. Had to be sanctified. Had to be made holy. And that temple, the human temple, you and I, 
We needed a better sacrifice than what bulls and goats could offer. Hebrews 10.1, for the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, can never, never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Those sacrifices of Moses, of Moses' law, they were for the cleansing of the flesh. But God wanted, to, he, it was an outward cleansing, but God wanted to come on the inside. God wanted to come deep on the inside, the innermost part of your being. He, uh, Ephesians 3.16, may you be strengthened with power through his spirit in your innermost being that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That there is an indwelling presence that God wants to enjoy with humanity forever. Forever. Holy God inside of Matthew. At oneness. Covenant relationship. In I and them. You and me, Father. May they be one in us. This was the desire. This was what Jesus wanted. And, and, there was the, the, and the, the sacrifice of Jesus was what was necessary in order for this cleansing to occur. Some of you are thinking, where is he at in the notes right now? Honestly, I'm kind of asking myself the same question. Um, <laughs> Man, these were great notes, too. Here's what we know about the sacrifice of Jesus. Um, It provides perfect cleansing. Not only of the body, but of the conscience. Not only of the outward man, but the inward man. And that because of that perfect cleansing, God can come and dwell in us perfectly. So the Old Testament offered multiple sacrifices by the high priest in the order of Levi. You had to be a descendant of Aaron and Levi in order to serve as a priest in that temple. And they offered the same sacrifices, multiple, again and again, every single year. And the weakness of that was that they couldn't take away sins, but it actually did the opposite. It reminded them of sins. Every time they came up and sacrificed, it reminded the people, oh yeah, we're sinful. It reminded the people of the guilt that they carried. And it was to atone. It was to make one with them. But because it was repeated over and over and over again, it was, it was not taking away sin. It was reminding them of it. But through Jesus, our high priest, he's not only our high priest, but he is the actual sacrifice being offered to God. And by his blood, one time, one offering for all time would cleanse and make us holy and perfect in the eyes of God. The, the, the many sacrifices of the Old Testament can never take away sins. But the single perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ for all time would make us perfect and cleansed before God. There's a lot going on here. There's something incredible about 
this blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ is that, um, as we've mentioned, it cleanses the conscience. But Hebrews uses a really interesting term here in Hebrews chapter one, uh, 10, verse 2. Um, if the Old Testament sacrifices were perfect, verse 2, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had the consciousness of sins? So if those Old Testament sacrifices had been perfect, there would be a power in them to cleanse consciousness of sins. In Jesus Christ, his perfect sacrifice, we can trust in his blood to such a degree that it can not only give us forgiveness of sins, but it can remove the consciousness of them from our memory. This is the promise of the new covenant. I will forgive their sins. I will remember them no more. What's the heart of what I'm saying today? That this single offering of Jesus, the body of Jesus Christ, has made you and I a worthy dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. It's enabled us to be at one with God. It's enabled us to draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. You see, under the old covenant, the sacrifices allowed the priest, and really even only the high priest, to enter the holiest place in that earthly sanctuary. But the sacrifice of Jesus Christ gives every single one of us, you, me, everyone in this room, it gives us the ability and the confidence to enter the holiest place in heaven and meet with our Holy Father. That we can have confidence as we stand before him. If you've been inspired by this message, we invite you to partner with us by visiting storehousedallas.com forward slash give.